0: Am I good? Okay, good. Okay. um, Soap. Uh, Complicated, but to simplify, we worked for years to get the readings of soap, Old Testament and New Testament, at a length that was very soapable meaning some sections, because they were very dense, there might only be a few scriptures, but there was a lot in them. Others, Other passages were longer because there was less density in them, and so I it, it made, again, a good soapable. So we got that down really well, and then when we started doing this Old Testament series that we're doing right now, we changed the Old Testament sections to try and link them up with what we were doing in the books. Well, we started moving a little more quickly through the books than we even thought we were because that's what the Lord was doing, just in terms of keeping the flow good. And so all of a sudden it was like four or five chapters of Old Testament in order to keep pace. So we've gone back to our original settings. Does everybody get it? So we will be doing, the one thing we're probably not going to do... We used to do the paper handout, and a lot of people would put those in their Bible and just read the paper ha- out the paper thing, but what I can tell you is, if you just go to your app, it's right there on the app, the same thing as the paper, and it's, const- it's current all the time, to where we don't have to publish, and we don't have to try and get it to you, and all that kind of stuff, and have a lot of wasted paper and work, okay? So it's right on the app every day, and the, uh, the last thing that I would say is, I don't know what you're doing. I, f- I feel a little loud. I feel like I'm getting some kickback, Andre? So if we could maybe kick that down just a little bit. It might be coming from up here. I don't know where it is, but I'm just hearing myself. But I just want to say this. For those of you who are not doing our soap, I love you, do whatever you want to do. But I want to cast vision for you doing the soap. I would say that two out of three sermons, maybe two out of four, have some significant connection to what God did in the soap. My heart on SOAP was, is that he would have a community that was going through the scriptures together, and that he would have us in the right place in SOAP for the sermons that he was bringing, that he would coordinate and orchestrate the SOAP reading and the the sermons and what was happening at the church. And we've seen so much of that that I'm just asking you now that we're back to our old pattern, very soapable sizes, would you please check that out? If you don't know what soap is, by all means, just look on the website. There's a great explanation of it. Okay, And you just go to your web or you can go to the website and you'll see the soap schedule for every day. Okay, It'll be the whole week and you can just click on it and you can read right from your app or you can read your Bible in hard copy and so on. Okay, we good? Okay, so with that now, we are headed into the sermon, and I got to tell you, you guys, so start the clock, start the thing. Welcome to those who are tuning in right now with me. Um, here's, I'm, I'm super excited. You, the people who are here are really blessed. If you're doing the home version, you're going to want to get a pen and a piece of paper so that you can be blessed, kind of, but you're not going to be as blessed as the people who are here. Okay, all right. But wow, is that what I heard? I heard a wow, (laughs) that's great. But here's what I am saying, though. I want you to reach down in front of you and pick up the piece of paper and the pen that's in front of you. And trust me, you really need to do this. I know there's a lot of times that people go, I'm not gonna do this. But please, okay, just trust me. This is, now, listen to what I'm asking you to do before you do it. You're gonna hear the first few words I say and you're gonna say, I know what this is. And you're gonna write it down, but it's maybe not be exactly it, okay? So here's what I'm asking you to do. Almost every person in here, there are some personality types that don't live this way, but it's, very, it's a very small percentage. But most people have in their minds and their hearts and their just thoughts that if this would happen, my life would be better. If something would take, I would be happier. I really wish and so would take place because this is why. See what I'm talking about? So, most everybody has this, but now here's the point. Now, watch this. I'm not asking you to do the religious thing. Like, you're in church and you're gonna think there's like a gotcha. Like, if you don't write the right thing down, so you're gonna be writing down not what you are processing, but you write down how you think this is gonna end. Here's what I'm promising you there's no gotcha. What you really need to write down, this is a good thing. What you really need to write down is the thing that when you're doing your prayer time, it comes up in your heart a lot. You know, Lord, I really wish so-and-so. Lord, I I feel like if then, see what I mean? This could be a health thing, this could be a financial thing, this could be a relational thing, this could be the job thing, this could be so many different things. But like I say, almost everybody has, and I'm I'm looking for two or three, because most of us would have more, But I'm looking for the one that is most common to you that when you're just thinking throughout the day, I hope you do that, as you're thinking throughout the day, as you're praying, as you're just processing your life and as you're thinking about it, this is the one that sort of bubbles up. If this would happen, I'd be happy. Or my life would be better. Or this is something I really want. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Now, there, you might be wanting something that's just flat-out sin. But I am going to say here something to you. There's very few people in this room that would want that. And I want you to say, you might feel a little bad even about writing it down because you're thinking, I'm not supposed to want that. We're not playing around here. This isn't a game. I'm trying to get you to experience something in the Lord that I think is going to be incredible if you'll actually do the real thing. What's the thing that's in your heart that you say to yourself, if this happened, my life would be better. So I'm going to do it too. So write it down. Can you grab me? Thank you. You got to write it down. Trust me on this. Now, don't let anybody else see it. This is just you, right? Just you and the Lord, okay? Don't look at anybody else's, and then fold it, okay? So that nobody can see it or anything like that. You got it? Everybody got it written down? All right, now. With this, who's our prayer? Oh, this is perfect. (laughs) You literally preached on this a few months ago and got us going down this whole thing. You're the one that set the pattern for what we've been doing now for months. So this is Joanna Peralis. That was an unbelievable sermon. You should listen to it. Uh, Would you lift up the sermon? Would you lift up another church? Oh,
1: Father, we just come before
0: you. We might need uh, sound. This is on.
1: Hallelujah. We're good? Okay. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, I just humble my heart before you as we write these things down. And Lord, my heart just feels heavy. It feels heavy for this room. It feels heavy for myself, God. Lord, you are in control. Amen. We believe in you. We believe that your heart is for us. And I just ask if there's anyone in this room that doesn't feel that way that you would invade their space this very moment that your love would fill their heart god they would feel you lord in a new way god like they never have before That they would just feel your arms around them father and lord i just ask that you would just anoint kurt this morning lord i just ask that you would be in the sermon that we would hear you and our hearts would be changed this morning father and Lord, just lift up Eastside Foursquare and just ask that you would amen. just be in their presence this morning, God, Lord, that you would continue to do good works there that are already happening, and that you would just bless the leaders that are serving amen. them. Amen.
0: In your name, amen. Amen. Perfect, perfect prayer. Now, where we are, the book that we're in now, fourth book, Numbers. Okay, this is an actual picture of the Sinai, Uh, so um, this is what it looked like, okay? So uh, now the key is, is that we're about to watch a Bible video, it's going to take me a second though to get there, everything okay? All right, so it's going to take me a second to get there, but here's what I want you to, to know, okay? Numbers is definitely one of my top five favorite books, definitely not because of the list, It's because there are stories in there that are some of the absolute coolest stories in all of Scripture. This is the time where the sort of preparatory stuff is over, and now it's the people walking it out. And there's incredible things that happen there. Now, I could do many, many, many different sermons about the kinds of things that I'm talking about here, but this is the one that I'm doing today, and this is what I need you to do before we see the video. I need you to understand something. When you watch the video... Understand that who these people are is you, us. These people are not different than us. There's a difference that I'll explain in a second. But the journey, Numbers is a journey from the Mount Sinai up into the promised land. The journey that they're on is the same one that we're on and in a way that is so striking, it's amazing, and let me show you that. So here's what I want you to see. This is the journey from the the Nile Delta, and that's where all the silt and the good sands and good dirt and so on comes down, and you can see, even in this actual picture, there's how much greener it is in the delta. See that? So this is a land of prosperity. Now remember, where the Jewish people come from is, God had promised them this land up in Canaan. But what happened was, is that there was the grandson Jacob and his 12 sons become the 12 tribes, experience famine, and so they go down from Canaan, down, to they, get, they come in under, under great favor because of Joseph, the son that was making Egypt the most powerful country in the world now through a famine and then, or a, a blessing and then famine that was going to happen. But the bottom line is, is that they end up in the best land in the most important country, and it's good, it's really good. But then after 400 years, after a period of time, they end up in bondage, they end up being slaves. They cry out to God, God starts delivering them. Remember, the first few, now what God's doing is he's revealing himself to them, right? They don't know who he is. They've heard about some land that they were promised up there, but they're in this other land, and now it's getting really bad, but they don't know God. 400 years ago this happened. You know, you think about it, 400 years ago somebody said something, and you're supposed to care about it today, right? So they don't know God at all. So God is revealing himself to them, but here's the key to it. We always think of it as God revealing himself to us, but the truth is he's also gonna reveal us to ourselves, who we really are. So what happens is, is that they cry out and God answers cries. That's what he does. He loves to do that. As we cry out to him, he answers. So he comes and he does miracles. And remember, the first few miracles, it's happening to everybody. See, water turning to blood, so on. But pretty quickly it turns into there's a plague happening in Egypt, but not where the Israelites are. And to the point where you get to, I think it's number nine, where it goes completely dark in all the land, except where the Jewish people are. Now it seems like you would learn a lot about God right there. <laughs> there's something he's doing pretty extraordinarily, and then, of course, the Passover, right? Where all of the firstborn die, except none of the Jewish people's do. So the people of Egypt do finally let them go, but they also load them up with all of their goods. They load them up with gold and and all these precious things, and so they leave in a very rich way. And then they go down to you see the little crook right there. They go down to what looks like they're going to be captured. They're they're stuck, and then Pharaoh changes his mind again, and he comes to get them. And then the sea parts. The Israelites go through the sea. When the Egyptians follow, the sea collapses on them, and so they die. Now watch what's happened there. God has taken them away from their bondage and slavery. He has killed their pursuers. So they're in a new land, a new thing, without what was before. Except for all that gold that they took from there. So there is something of the world that's gone with them through that. You see that? Now what they do is, now a whole bunch of miracles start happening. They don't have any water. There's bitter water. It's going to make them sick to drink it. You know, Water gets purified. Now they can drink it. It's sweet. Then there's no water again. Hit the rock. Water comes out. There's no food. Oh, guess what? God starts feeding them every day with manna. Gee, we'd like some meat too. Okay, quail. Now remember something here. The roles of the men number about a million. So the number of people here is a couple million, two and a half million is what most scholars would think. There's about two and a half million people that are being fed manna, meat, and water every day. Then they get down to Mount Sinai, and then God comes in thunder and lightning, scary, but, as Justine pointed out last week in a terrific sermon, the 70 elders go up and they see God. So if you're thinking, right, as you could do thousands of years later, oh, Moses just you know, had this all planned out somehow. The problem is 70 of the elders, the top people, had dinner basically with God. <laughs> they saw him. So when they came back down, they said, that's not just thunder and lightning, that's God. That's who's up there. Now, that's what happened to the Egyptians, but now we're going to parallel that to our lives. Now watch this, and I'm talking particularly right now, this is true of every Christian in some fashion, but I do want to talk particularly about, about Christians who were born in America or that live in America and are experiencing a lot of prosperity because of it. Even if you didn't grow up, quote-unquote, rich or even poor in America, still relative to the rest of the world, you're, you're abundant, Right, you're still in the top 2% of the world, even if you're poor. So the bottom line is, is that you were in what? A very good, prosperous land, right? And in this good and prosperous land, what do you do? Well, there's some things that look like they're fun. Some of them are obviously sinful, you know, sexual pleasures in ways that are not God's best for you, and so on. Some things are less so, I wanna be rich, Now, you may, as Christians, say, oh no, no, that's bad. But do understand, God made a lot of people rich. So he doesn't have a problem with making people rich. This is not a faith sermon all of a sudden. Okay, so don't misunderstand what's happening here. But God doesn't have a problem with a person being rich. We're the ones that have a problem with being rich. And that's why he can't do what he wants to do with us. Which is not just to make us rich, so don't misunderstand that. Okay, but you get what my point is. There's all of these desires that we have living in a land of abundance and prosperity where fear and survival is not our first instinct that's being utilized. Instead, what we're being able to do is all kinds of stuff. We're being able to pursue things that fulfill me. Things that challenge me. Things that, whatever they are, you see what I mean? We can do all of these things and we start to do them. And when we do them, even the bad sexual and the bad other kinds of things like drugs or something, even those, you have to understand, in the beginning are quite pleasurable. All of these things have, there's a reason why people do them. They feel good or they work well or they seem good. See what I mean? There's a real benefit to it. There's a real thing that happens in me. See it? See it? But there's this funny thing about every single thing that the world gives us. It addicts us. It brings us into a bondage. You do realize Facebook, when it started, was a fabulous idea. Well, when it first started, it was a dating app, so maybe not. But, but pretty soon, it became a way of communicating with people. And to this day, the marvel, the miracle, the wonder of Facebook is the way that it lets you keep in touch with people that you wouldn't otherwise be close to be able to be in touch with, right? Easily, you can see what's going on in their life, something happens, you can call them, you can connect, and I have friends all over the country, and we're able to connect and stay apace with Facebook, although a lot of them have dropped out lately, okay? But I want you to understand something. You do realize that, and again, I'm not saying there's people that work for Facebook in here, this is just how everything in the world works. You do realize that at this point in time, most people have some level of addiction to their device, the phone, because of the endomorphines that are being released when you pick up your phone and you see a like on your page, something you posted and you get a like. You know, that's a hit. They call it a hit. That's the same thing you say in a drug. In fact, it's an endomorphine, morphine, opiate. It's a neurological chemical in your brain that is is the cousin to actual opiates. And it is literally addicting. And so you get people that have to pick up their phone. And it's not just people, it's almost everybody that have to pick up their phone continually. About every so often, you need the hit and you pick up your phone. Now that's having a real detrimental effect of which we don't understand yet and we will understand better as time goes on and hopefully we'll come up with some way of beating it. But you see what I'm saying here? Everything in the world... Even things that seem really great about, I'm going to accomplish great things. Do you remember, Solomon is the guy who experienced everything that the world has to offer. Everything. In more abundance than anybody else ever did. That was wine, women, song, accomplishment, power, wealth, uh, ingenuity, wisdom. Half of that list is a pretty good list. Half of it's not so good. But half of that list is pretty good, but he's the one that experienced all of it, more than anybody else ever has. And the end of his life was him, and I believe this to be true, but it's a tradition, so I need to tell you it's a tradition. But he's the one that writes Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, the legend is, is that he stepped down from the throne, having experienced everything, but being now dead in his soul, having started so beautifully with God. In fact, the reason he got everything, do you remember, why did he get everything? Because God said to him, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And he said, I want to lead your people well. And he said, because you've asked for such a beautiful thing, I'm going to give you everything else. And then what happened? He ended up dead in his soul. A prisoner to the things. It didn't work. It didn't bring him to the Lord. See what I mean? Those things took him away from the Lord. See it? So there's the, there's the book and the person that God is showing us what the world leads to every single time. So we're in that land at Nile Delta, and all of a sudden we're addicted, and we know that we're in bondage. We know that we're in slavery to whatever it is, some sexual sin that you picked up, some financial desire that you have, some uh, fulfillment thing that you have, some... How many people who have accomplished great things in the world because they have, were broken in some sense and were driven to do certain things? So they don't experience it as pleasure, as a fulfillment. They experience it as it was a tremendous need from my brokenness and that's why I did what I did. I I keep thinking, I I always use Joe Montana as the example for this. Because Joe Montana was, by statistics, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. And if you ask Joe Montana, does he think that, he would absolutely, absolutely does not. In fact, if you ask Joe Montana, do you have a good life? His answer is, he's not gonna say this casually. But his answer is, there was this need, and it's still there. I'm broken. I can't. See what I mean? Okay, you see where we're going here? Slavery. We were all in slavery. And so we cry out. And we say, God, help me get happy, get fulfilled. Do this thing that's going to make me feel better, make, me, make my life better. This is what's going to fix me. You see it? We cry out for that thing. And here's what God does when people cry out. He answers us. As Christians, he answers Right? He comes to you. He starts revealing himself to you. You get to a place to where, now watch this. This is the difference between the Egyptians and us, right here. Well, wait a minute. With the Egyptians, he did all those miracles. You know, the plagues, and the Passover, and the Red Sea, and the water, and the food, and the, he did all the, and the, and the mountain. He did all these miracles, right? So you see, you, we could say this as a Christian. We could say, if God had done all those miracles in my life, then I would have never lusted or wanted anything else. See? If God did all those miracles, of course I would. But he's never done those miracles in me. Well, that's exactly wrong. He's done two, in fact. The first one is, they didn't know who God was at all, and so the way that he was revealing himself to them was brand new. But then it wasn't brand new to us, because we can read it. (laughs) And these are true stories. And we know that there's a God who does these things, right? And these need to be appropriated by faith, not by God having to redo the Exodus with every single person in your life. But he is redoing an Exodus, but just catch my drift. He doesn't have to do all these miracles because you've seen him. Not only that, but you've not only seen who God is by reading Exodus and Numbers and so on, but you also learn who you are. I'm not the kind of person that holds on to God very easily. Human nature does not keep a firm grip with him. It isn't only focused on him. It gets focused on a lot of things. That's what human nature does. Now that is something that God wants us to learn from, but do we? Not so good. Now I wanna tell you something. Take every single miracle that God did for for the Israelites, take every single one, add them up and multiply them by some huge number, And now you have the miracle that he's done in every single person here that has received Jesus into their life. Because here's what's actually happened in you that didn't happen in them. You want a miracle? This is God, he's the one that created this, this is his handiwork means it wasn't, he didn't break a sweat, this is just what he did, and he creates the absolutely most fantastic things that you could ever imagine, and the God who made all the stars, that's an actual picture, by the way, one of those Hubble images, but the God who does that, listen to this, Jesus, in his last sermon, says there's going to be this thing I'm going to do, it's not a sermon, it's, He's just talking with the disciples in the upper room, And what he says to them is, is God's going to come. He's going to make you new. But he's not just going to make give you a new nature, which is a miracle all by itself. You're not going to have a nature that's after the things Adam and Eve were, which is to go my own way. God has a better way, but I'm going to choose my way. He's put a nature in you that is to want to follow God. But even then, he doesn't quit there. That God that made all the universe... I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. This, isn't, this is unfathomable, unfathomable. The Holy Spirit who hovered over the darkness and the deep and turned it into purpose and meaning is now living in you. But it's not just him. Watch this. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus, I am coming to you. Jesus, in a little while the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. So it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. Oh, and by the way, it's not just Jesus. Uh, If anyone loves me, my Father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one who created the whole of the universe is living in you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) Having given you a new nature, he's now living in you. You want to know a miracle? You want to know a miracle that every Israelite wanted? This one. This is what scripture says. All the prophets of old were looking forward to the day where this thing that God had been promising was fulfilled and it was fulfilled in you in Christ Jesus. You see it? (laughs) This is the miracle. This makes all those other ones seem like kindergarten. (laughs) You want a miracle? You got it. And not only that, but that counselor, the Holy Spirit, he'll send in my name, he'll teach you everything. He'll walk with you in the most intimate way. It's not Jesus over here and sometimes you're with him and sometimes you're not. It's that the Holy Spirit is in you and every thought you have. He's interacting with you in it. Every every moment, you can't even imagine. There's never been a couple who has even begun to approach the intimacy that the Holy Spirit has with you every moment. (laughs) We got it all. So here's the deal. I think the, Egypt, I think the Israelites in that day had an excuse. They didn't have a new nature. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know God. They got some miracles, and they kept messing up. What's our excuse? <laughs> because here's Paul telling us all something. As a Christian, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I know that nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature, my flesh. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't, do what, I, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody can relate to that? Anybody can't relate to that? Because you need to lay hands on all the rest of us. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, and I'm going to change that in just one second. I'm going to show you. This is the word of God, so you can't change the word of God, but I want to contextualize it. I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. The Ten Commandments from the sermon last week. I love God's law with all, I love the things of God. That law was not put there to harm me. It was put there to bless me, to show me how to walk with him. I couldn't walk with him, so it ended up convicting me. But now there is no more condemnation. I love God in my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with that. (laughs) Now, understand something. You could read that and say, oh, well, I just can't ever get over the sin because he said it's inevitable and so on. You need to understand. Chapter 8 is all about how to walk in ever more victory. Okay? And it's real simple put your mind on the things of the spirit not on the things of the world <laughs> the more you put your mind on the things of the spirit the more you walk in the things of god the less you put your things on the, the mind on the things of the world the more you put it on god the more that you'll walk in god so there is if there isn't perfection that's possible in this world there is in fact sanctification is now not yet the now is in our new nature, according to the, according to the nature God's put us in us, it doesn't sin, it cannot sin, and it is with God in all things. That's the part he's talking about. He says, there is this thing in me that really loves God and really wants to do it his way. There's this other thing, too, that I'm doing battle with. But I can get ever-increasing victory as I put my heart, as I put my mind, as I put my intentions, as I put my affections, as I put my focus on God, his spirit, and how the spirit's leading me intimately. He's showing me how to get out of all this stuff. I just don't follow him. All right, we got this? Now, most of you here know this, but let me just go one more step because then you're going to see why this is so important. We need to have two things in our life. This is what God's showing us from the walk of the Egyptians. He's showing us even now. We need a fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. But always remember something it's not its end. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord but its end is love, relationship, intimacy with God, okay? So all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain surrounded by smoke, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance, and we should do so too. We should understand how holy God is and how holy we aren't. (laughs) In our new nature, yes, but now, but not yet. But there's another thing, and that's intimacy. You are present among them, when they see with their own eyes in your, cl- what they see with their own eyes in the cloud that hovers over them and the pillar of cloud that leads them by day and the pillar of fire by night. That thing that would lead them when they were moving and then when they stopped, they would camp around it. And what he's trying to communicate is, is you, him living in your presence. Or more accurately, us living in his. You see it? So there's always this tension between fear of the Lord and Intimacy. And we need to live in both of those truths. Now, with that said, we're now going to watch the Bible video. But here's why I did this long build-up to it. When you watch this, I need you to not watch this as a story about a people that lived 3,500 years ago. I need you to live it as this is your story. There is a difference, but it's the same journey The journey that God set out for them is the one that we are walking to. So experience the journey like that.
2: The book of Numbers. This fourth book of the Bible carries forward the story of Israel after their exodus from slavery in Egypt. God had brought them to Mount Sinai, and he entered into a covenant with them there. And despite Israel's rebellion, God had graciously provided a way for Israel to live near his holy presence in the tabernacle. So the book of Numbers begins as Israel wraps up their one-year stay at Mount Sinai, and they head out into the wilderness on their way to the land that God promised Abraham. Now, the book's storyline is designed according to the stages of their journey. So the first section begins at Mount Sinai, but then they set out and travel to the wilderness of Paran. And then from there, they travel to the plains of Moab, which is right across from the Promised Land. Now, the first part opens with a census where the people are numbered. That's where the book gets its name. And then there are laws about how the tribes of Israel were to be arranged in their camp. So the tabernacle was to be at the center. And then around that, the priests and the Levites. And then around them, the 12 tribes neatly arranged with Judah at their head. Now, this was all an elaborate symbol about how God's holy presence was at the center of their existence as a people. This is all followed by a whole series of laws that develop the purity laws from the book of Leviticus. If God's presence was going to be in their midst, every effort should be made to make the camp pure, a place that welcomes God's holiness. In chapter 10, the cloud of God's presence lifts from the tabernacle and guides Israel away from Sinai out into the wilderness, and immediately things go terribly wrong. So in chapter 11, the people start complaining about their hunger and thirst and how they want to go back to Egypt. And then in chapter 12, Moses' own brother and sister begin opposing and badmouthing him in front of all of the people. This trip is not off to a good start. <laughs> the next section begins as the Israelites arrive in the desert of Paran, about halfway to the promised land. And God tells Moses to send out the 12 spies, one for each tribe, so they can scout out the promised land. So when the spies all return, 10 of them say that there is no chance Israel can survive there because the Canaanites will destroy them. But there are two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who say that God can save them. But the 10 whip up the people into a fearful rage and they start planning a mutiny. They're going to appoint a new leader and head back to Egypt. So God is understandably angry. And Moses intercedes on the people's behalf. He calls God to be faithful to his promises to Abraham. And so God does, but not at the expense of his justice. He gives these Israelites what they want, to not enter the land. And God sentences this generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they die. Only their children will get to enter the promised land. Now, you'd think this severe consequence would wake them up, but it gets even worse. So in the next story, there's a whole group of Levites that begin a rebellion, and they challenge Moses and Aaron's leadership, saying that they have gone way too far. So God deals severely with these Levites, and he renews his commitment to Moses and Aaron as Israel's leaders. Now, as they leave the region of Paran and hit the road, it goes downhill yet again. The Israelites start complaining again about their thirst, and they ask why Moses even brought them out of Egypt in the first place. So God tells Moses to speak to a rock to bring out water for all of the people, but Moses doesn't really do this. He oversteps his bounds. He hits the rock twice and then says, you rebels, do we have to bring water out of this rock? So Moses dishonors God by putting himself in God's place as the one who brings out the water and so moses brings down on himself the same fate as the wilderness generation he too will die in the desert and never get to enter the promised land after this the israelites rebel yet again and god brings a very strange judgment on them venomous snakes to come and bite the people And so Moses, again, intercedes on behalf of the people. And God tells Moses to do this, to make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole, so that whoever looks at this snake would be healed of the poisonous snake bite. It's a very strange symbol, but it speaks to the challenge that God has by being faithful to his covenant. He's right to bring justice on the Israelites' evil and sin, but even God's justice gets transformed into a source of life, for those who will look to God for healing. From here, the people head into the plains of Moab. And the first main part of the section focuses on the strange figure of Balaam. So the king of Moab is freaked out at this huge group of people traveling through his territory. So he hires a pagan sorcerer, Balaam, to pronounce curses on Israel. And three different times, Balaam finds that he cannot curse them He can utter only blessing upon Israel. Remember God's promise to Abraham from Genesis 12. So not only can Balaam not curse Israel, but God actually gives him a vision about a future Israelite king who will one day bring God's justice to all of the nations. This vision recalls Jacob's promise to Judah in Genesis chapter 49. Now, it's worth stopping to reflect on the flow of the book so far. The rebellion stories in the wilderness, they just heap up on one another, getting worse and worse. And while God does bring partial acts of judgment on Israel, he's also kept showing mercy, providing food and water along the way. And so the Balaam story, it shows God's grace in bright Because here's Israel. They're down in the camp grumbling and rebelling, but up in the hills, unbeknownst to them, God is protecting and even blessing them. And it's this contrast between Israel's rebellion and God's faithfulness in the wilderness that's what made these stories so important for later generations of Israel. So the wilderness stories are retold time and again by later biblical prophets and poets and even by the apostles in the New Testament. And these stories always serve as a warning that while God will remain faithful to his covenant promises, he will also allow his people to walk away in rebellion and face the consequences. After this, the rest of the book focuses on the children of the wilderness generation, and they begin preparing to inherit the promised land. They take another census of the new generation, then they go on and win a number of battles with the people groups around them, and then a few tribes even begin to settle in the promised land. So the book ends with the new generation poised to enter into the land, and Moses is about to deliver his final words of wisdom and warning, but for now, That's what the book of Numbers is all about. Those are just the best
0: videos ever. What a a tool to have this for the series that we're doing. Can you imagine trying to do all of this, what we're doing, without that? I mean, it's just incredible how much it it gets us down the field. But here's the thing. What's What's the overarching theme of Numbers? What is it? The people complain (laughs) <laughs> over and over and over it the book starts out with it numbers 11 soon the people began to complain about their hardship and the lord heard everything they said there's a better way to phrase that the people were complaining to god <laughs> they weren't just grumbling over here they were speaking in a way that it was a challenge to god so god responded the Lord's anger blazed against them and he sent a fire to rage among them and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts. You would think after this, what would you do next? If you complained and then like he burned your leg off, what would you do? Stop complaining. If you were going to complain, do it quietly, right? You know what I mean? But here they are, just, just, a, a, just one, two verses later, contemptible people among them had a strong craving, craving for other food. The Israelites cried again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt. We don't remember the slavery and the bondage and the, you know, more bricks and less straw thing, but okay. Along with the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the garlic, and all this kind of stuff. Now, this is chapter 11. I could go to chapter, as you saw, I'm going to 14. I could go to 21. I could go throughout the book and show you that all the way through the book, this complaining thing keeps going. But here's Numbers 14, this last one we're going to do on this. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron, and let's add in their God. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Right? This is at the time when they're looking at it. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Now, what's happening here? This is not complicated. They forgot what was bad about Egypt. They, they were looking at what that was good out of Egypt, at least from their perspective. And so it was... Egypt, God's walking them this way into a new land, into a promised land, into a new place with him. And where are they looking? Egypt, 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 Egypt. Let's just make it super clear. What should they have been saying? What should they have asked the Lord about? There was no problem if they didn't have meat. God proved it. They cried out and complained, and he gave them meat, but they could have got it another way, right? They could have just said, wow, this God is sure doing a lot of incredible things, parting water, doing plagues, free free bread every day, a lot of incredible things um, uh, which we could not even possibly imagine. I wonder what he might have for us next. You might even be able to say, let's ask him. We have a problem. Help me. I have a problem. Help me, Lord. See it? Let me, let me rephrase it so you see it here. What can we say? Lord, thank you for everything you are so beautifully providing, creating me new, living inside of me, teaching me, walking with me, all of the abundance of your presence and all of the goodness that you have brought to my life. Thank you for all of that. Now, we can say it's okay To say, there is an issue that's come up, however, and I would like to talk to you about it. To ask you if there's something that could be done about this. I'd like some meat, or I'd like to not get killed by an enemy, or something like this. So, you know what, God? I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at Egypt. I'm looking at you, and I'm saying, you've proven to me that you're, like, phenomenal. But I'm seeing this problem. What do you want me to do? Can I just... Okay, God, help me right now. We've got to stop being religious. We've got to stop trying to act like we're supposed to act when it's not where we are. (laughs) If you're not there, what you need to come to God with is where you are, which is not there. God, I know I should trust you. I just don't. (laughs) Help me. I believe. Says the guy, help my unbelief. I do believe, but there's a part of me that doesn't. Would you please help me with that? To which Jesus is only too happy to say yes. And and here's the key to it. When we come to God the way that we think that we should be, he can't fix us because we're not focused on what the problem is, which is not the problem we're thinking, which is what we want fixed. It's us. When we come to him with what's wrong with us, then he can fix it and we'll participate in him fixing us. This is so important. Literally. (laughs) This is one of those moments that just cracks me up about myself. there's this problem that I've been having. Not, a problem is totally the wrong word. There's this thought I've been having about if this happened, then I would be happier. If this happened, my life would be better. And, and I, I need you to understand something. You need to understand the nature of that thing. It was like, that would be really nice to happen, but I don't need it to happen. I'm fine. I trust you. I love you. My hope is in you, not that. But gee, I'd really like that to happen. Now, somehow over time, which is what is always, time is our enemy in our human nature. Somehow over time, without me even knowing it, it happened. This this is not a bad thing. I'm not going into it because it's just not important for right now. I want you to have your own thing like this in your mind. This was a thing that was perfectly reasonable for me to want and ask for and everything else. There was nothing wrong with it at all. But somehow over time, I had gotten my eyes fixed on it in a way that I wasn't really thrilled that God wasn't letting me have it. (laughs) And I wasn't totally sure he was ever going to let me have it. Now, Now, right there, there should be a problem, right? Right there, you should be saying, gee, doesn't that sound a lot like a person wanting their own way, not God's? See, the whole key to the journey of the Israelites is they don't know what the promised land is. They have gotten a taste of it because two of, the, two of the guys come back having to carry one bunch of grapes between them. It's so heavy. So they know that whatever it is that's in that promised land, that land of milk and honey, is really good. And yet, what do, they, what do the rest of the people focus on? The problems, the giants. To where we cry out all night, we're going to die. So we're not looking forward we're not looking at the God who, he's, he's clearly not revealed it to us yet. But we're not looking at him. We're looking at what we know. And we're ending up wandering around in the wilderness dying. <laughs> when we could be entering into the promised land. If we just let him take us there. But we don't. So here's the point. I'm sitting here <laughs> I just, I cracked me up so much. I'm just, you can't believe what a terrible person is preaching to you right now, okay? I think, I honestly do believe something with all of my heart. I believe that the Lord lets me be a preacher is because I'll be like David and I'll peel it back and I'll tell you what it really looks like to walk. I've always I've had this image. I've always told you this. I don't want to be the perfect guy who's got his hair just right and his body just right and he fits, wears fitting clothes and he speaks perfectly and he never interrupts his own self and his own thought and he does everything just perfectly in this big choir and everything's beautiful and I just have this image of somebody down below looking up at this perfect image and saying, isn't he wonderful? I could never do that. And that has always been an evil to me. And what I wanted to be was a guy who is obviously got some problems and he doesn't want to be called pastor because he wants to be what he is, which is you and us. And I want somebody to be able to look at me and say, you know, I like him. I hope you say that. But, you know, if he can do this, I think I can too. This is, so I'm telling a story on myself. (laughs) I got this thing, and I'm literally learning about the Christian walk as I go through the Egyptian, or the Israelites' walk in Numbers, and I get to where I say this, because I'm dictating, I dictate my sermons, and I'm saying those words right there, and all of a sudden the Lord says, look at this and it was me and it was like look what you've done you've taken this thing that wasn't a big thing and you've worked hard to make it not be a big thing to tell me that it's not important if you do it or not it would just be nice you've you've done this right thing about keeping it right in your heart you've done everything right but the truth of the matter is you're not really trusting me anymore You really want this to happen because you're pretty sure if this would happen, even if there were problems with it, that you could manage those problems and your life would just be better to the point that I was not taking action wouldn't be the right word, but, but that was the direction that I was moving. It wasn't to God. It wasn't to this. It wasn't to coming to him like this Doing so with a heart that genuinely understands and truly believes that God knows what is absolutely best for me in ways that I cannot possibly understand. I'm telling you, you cannot worship the Lord with a full heart unless you know a couple of things. That he is, that he is unbelievably good, and that he is completely powerful and that he's got it all. To where you can now look at any circumstance that you're in and say, with a real heart, with a real understanding, the thing that you are bringing me is the very best thing that you could possibly be bringing me, given who I am. (laughs) So I want something more. Maybe he wants that, maybe he doesn't. It doesn't matter. What I have to know is, is what he's doing in me is the most love, is the best thing, is everything. No matter what it is. What did Paul say about this? I have learned to be content in all things. Let me paraphrase that. I have learned how to thrive in God no matter what's happening. Because I trust him and him alone. You see it? Truly trust him knowing that he not only knows the what, but the how, the when, and the why. I want it now. No, let's be careful. I want it yesterday. In fact, I want it several days before yesterday. And that gets me to complaining. Why haven't you done what I want? (laughs) Oh, man, we're screwed up. What what he gives us is truly the best with absolutely no negative side effects. No bondage. No addiction. No endorphins. Nothing but good. He wants to pour out so much on us than we could ever imagine, it's unbelievable. Now, right there, watch this. He wants to pour out on us so much more we haven't even imagined what it is. Now you could say, oh, I'm gonna do right so that I get things. nice try it's not going to work you have to really believe that he's doing the best thing for you period and it doesn't matter what it is you don't do this to get you do this because he's God you (laughs) right don't worry about anything is Paul here Paul Weston oh this this is the day for him to be here man this is his life verse right here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? No, no, no. That's what it says. It's just the religious things. You know, the stuff that you know you're supposed to want and not the stuff you really want, but you can't bring it to God because you're not supposed to really want that. No, you bring him everything. Even the stuff you know is problematic. I want this thing. I don't want to want this thing. I just do. <laughs> right? everything. Tell God what you need (coughs) and thank him for all that he's done. Keep yourself in balance. Thank him that he's got this. Where's God trying to take him again? The promised land. He's trying to take him to a place that they can't even imagine. What's in there? Has anybody ever seen two people have to carry one bunch of grapes? You ever seen that before? And what if that's like the littlest thing of the blessings in there? In fact, let me take it to where we're really trying to get it to because all of this is about God showing us things that we don't know. Not only don't we know, but we we can't even know it. This is why the scriptures say, things never discovered or heard of before, No Egypt, no world, no, I know this. What he's trying to get us to, what he's trying to say is waiting for us is things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to even imagine. These are the many things. How many? These are the many things that God has in store for all he loves. Now let's be clear about something. This is really about heaven and about how much more heaven is than we can begin to understand, right? This is really what this is about. But do you understand what heaven really is? Because here's what it is. Freed from all worldly flesh, God pours out on us things infinitely better than anything we have even imagined without measure. <laughs> oh my God, it's the dumbest thing ever to look back. <laughs> it is, It. It. it kills us. It literally steals from us when we look back. What brings us life is to look forward, to look at what God's doing, (laughs) to see who he really is and understand that that's even but just a peak and that you want to enter into that more and more and more and more. That's the life that he has for us. That's what he wants for us. So with all that says, I want you now, nobody can see it, but I want you to take your card, and I want you to open back up, and I want you to read what's on there. And I want you to see something about this. The thing that you want is not a problem. We've already seen, God is telling you, the thing that you want, maybe he wants that for you, maybe he doesn't want that for you, but you bringing it to him is not a problem at all. Nothing bad in what you wrote. What is? Don't think so much about what's on your card. Rather, what's your posture? What's your spirit? What's your heart? Do you trust God or not about whatever you wrote? Are you trying to fix this? Is this something that you're giving to him and you genuinely give to him and you really don't care what happens or not? You just think that this is something and so you're willing to bring it to him, but you don't care because you know that he's got better for you than you could ever even imagine? And if he's got more for you, you want that and not this? You see, it's not the thing. It's never the thing, you guys. It's always our attitude towards this. It's always our posture towards this. It's always how we are dealing with it internally. That's the journey of numbers. That's where you get from slavery promise. It's in the attitude. How are you coming to God? As good? As loving? As one who would love to give you everything that you want and a billion times more to where the things that you wanted seem like nothing. We got a moment coming up here. I want you to take a moment, we're gonna do a little music. We're not done, I wanna tell you. I got about five minutes after we're done with this moment right here. But here's what we're gonna do and here's what I'm asking you to do. In the next three, four minutes, I want you to think about what your attitude is, what your posture is. And then I want you to come forward and what I want you to do, and I'm hoping everybody in here will do this. I just really hope that you will but I want you to come forward and I want you to just ask your exceedingly great God by laying it before him. Give it to him and trust him. So what I want you to do is I want you to bring your card forward and leave it here. Because it's your way of saying, I want this, you know that I want this, maybe I should want it, maybe I shouldn't want it, I don't care. But I wanna give it to you. So I'm asking you to come forward and just take a minute here at the altar And I'm asking you to fold it up so that nobody can see it. And I promise you, nobody's gonna read it. We're gonna clean it up and nobody's gonna look at it. This is between you and the Lord. And I want you to come forward and I want you to put it here at the altar and leave it here, give it to him. Okay? give it just a 30 seconds more I don't mean to hurry anybody's time I just told you that we're not quite done. There's one more thing I want to show you, and watch this. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom. This is a total paraphrase I want to say. So above all, chase after God and what it is to be standing right with him. the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. You know what this verse does not say? I know that you have 30 or 40 really important things, and I just want you to prioritize them, but I wanna make sure that I'm at the top of this list of 30 or 40 things that you've got. Here's what this verse is actually saying. I want you to have a list, and I want you to have one thing on it, me. If you just go after me, for real, not religiously, but vulnerably transparently, for real, I'll take care of everything else. (laughs) I gotcha, (laughs) right? I gotcha. If you'll just be about me. Him alone, because that's the only way that we're truly standing right with Him. If there's other things that are in competition with God, then what are we holding on to? Something that's gonna save us and something that's gonna kill us. (laughs) How's that go? We can all raise our hands and say, not so well. No other gods, no other idols, just Him. Filling our entire field of vision, hopes, dreams, desires. And now I want you to hear this. Because this is who you serve. This is the only way that he's able to give us absolutely everything that he wants to pour out on us. You see it? When you're just about him, when you're just him, and it's all him, and that's all it is, him, 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 him. That's when he goes, Oh, well, here, let me give you this then. <laughs> Again, if you do it to get, it's not going to work. God in Jesus' holy and precious name I'm begging (laughs) I'm begging you to let me get victory over my flesh for real and I don't mean in the way that we normally think of that as sin that too of course but I mean in these ways that are much more subtle that are much more important and real that are really down to the to the nub of it God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you to teach me how to want nothing but you. That I might be a vessel who could take anything that you give me and I will use it precisely and only as you want. That I would become the kind of vessel that when you tried to bless me, it didn't end up hurting me. Thank you for not giving me what I want, even if you wanted it for me, because it was going to hurt me. Thank you for teaching me what it is to be at your feet in love.